Welcome to the show, Entrepreneurs in Conversation with Moi, Geraldine JP. I joyfully sit down every week with entrepreneurs, innovators, and creators to pick their brilliant, fascinating minds. My mission is to help them share their stories of struggle and success. The rich details from openly conversing serves as sound advice for us to hear and hopefully learn from. Enjoy the listen. Coming up on Entrepreneurs in Conversation with Geraldine. Hi, everyone. I'm Ravina, and I'm the other half of Michelle, and I'm our Chief Operating Officer um, with Flick. And Michelle and I both met at Next36. We were both randomly roomed together, um, and I guess that's where the story of Flick begins. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Ravina. I hope you're well today. I wanted to uh, welcome you to Entrepreneurs in Conversation with Geraldine. I'm super happy that you could make time to have this really interesting chat with me today on how you guys started Flick. So first and foremost, like I'd love for you to introduce yourself um, to the audience. Uh, let's start with Michelle. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Thank you so much for having us today. Hi, everyone. I'm Michelle Kwok. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Flick. And Flick is a platform that connects female founders and leaders with students from across the world through meaningful apprenticeships. And a little bit about me is that I was originally a medical science student and made the crazy transition into social tech entrepreneurship after going through one of the top entrepreneurship programs in Canada called Next36. And Next Canada is something that we and Geraldine have in common. I think we'll talk about that a little bit later, but I'll also let my co-founder, Ravina, introduce herself. Amazing. Hi, everyone. I'm Ravina, and I'm the other half of Michelle, and I'm our chief operating officer um, with Flick. And Michelle and I both met at Next36. We were both randomly roomed together, um, and I guess that's where the story of Flick begins. And similar to Michelle, I had a very diverse background and landed myself into entrepreneurship, I guess. And I guess we'll get into the story throughout this discussion. Yeah. Thank you, ladies, for joining me today. So the first question I'll have for you guys, um, and I'll start probably with Rubina, what sparks the idea to launch a female-focused platform dedicated to interns? Yeah. Um, well, as Michelle and I both just mentioned, for both of us, we weren't necessarily exposed to the idea of entrepreneurship throughout our upbringing or during our undergrad degrees. But I think something that both of us had in common was that we really wanted to create a tangible impact um, wherever we were. We wanted to be helping people. We wanted to be creating and building things. And the opportunity to uh, be part of a program like Next36 was quite interesting to us. I remember getting, I always like to say, a really good targeted advertising where it was like, you can get up to 80,000 for your idea. And I was like, whoa, this is so cool. Like, I do have ideas that I want to explore. I want to be helping people um, and I want to be creating social change. And so I applied to Next36 and both of us, you know, as I mentioned, we were randomly roomed together. And when we walked into the program, essentially, we were one of the only few female women in the program. And I was one of the only South Asian women. And mm -hmm. so I was quite taken back. I think you often read about the discrepancies and the gaps, but to actually be placed in that situation where you're like, oh my God, I'm one of the only few female here. I'm one of the only women of color present here. 
And it was a very interesting experience for us. And that's sort of like what sparked the beginning of Flick was that we decided to go and reach out to other women um, that weren't necessarily present immediately in that entrepreneurial ecosystem. And so Mm -hmm. we researched them, we looked them up and we cold emailed all these different amazing, remarkable women. Um, And Michelle and I ended up going to New York during our time in Next 36. um, And we interviewed all these amazing female founders and leaders. Mm -hmm. And organically through those conversations, we were getting... um, a glimpse into, you know, the barriers that they faced and especially the barriers that they were facing as a female founder trying to scale a company. And what Mm -hmm. we noticed was no matter where they were in their stage of their company, early stage, mid, um, scaling up, they really needed um, access to helping hands on their business in an affordable way. But one thing even deeper than that was that they craved this desire to help the next generation of female entrepreneurs. And it was difficult for them to find that meaningful relationship. So as Michelle were pu- and I were putting out this content and these interviews, all of our like friends or scholars or different groups that we had met through different clubs were reaching out to us saying, whoa, this is so cool. Like these interviews, I didn't know these women existed. I would absolutely love to even have the opportunity to work under them one day or intern under them or just volunteer my time to get to know them. And we sort of went back to the drawing board after Next 36 and Michelle and I were like, whoa, we need to like create, we've always been about tangible impact. So if we can go back and connect these women, both female founders and these students, post-secondary students, recent grads with one another, That would be something exceptional that is founded on ambition, meaning, and really cultivating those young women. So that's sort of like the seed in which sparked the idea of um, these women approaching us and these young females being inspired by them and us thinking to ourselves, you know, how can we provide opportunity for both of them? And I'll let Michelle sort of go into what that trickled into, but that's sort of the beginning of how that idea began. Amazing. So Michelle, do you have any like insight that you'd like to add to this? No, I think she, what she said was, it, it, it honestly was our story that so many female students were reaching out to us as we were interviewing these women, as we thought Flick was just going to be a side project so that we could meet, you know, female founders. Mm-hmm. Um, we had so many female students reaching out saying, I didn't know there were women in tech. I didn't know there were women in AI. I thought every founder looked like Mark Zuckerberg or Bill Gates or Elon Musk. How can I meet people like this? How can I learn from them and, you know, navigate my career with those uh, barriers and challenges in mind and know how to overcome them? Mm-hmm. And so it became this organic feedback loop where it kept being like female founders were saying, yeah, we always need help on our businesses. You know, female founders are notoriously under-resourced. And all these female students were looking for not only mentorship, but also career relevant experience, especially in times like COVID when so many people have had their jobs rescinded or career opportunities rescinded. And a lot of career centers across the country, across the globe, have lost all of these opportunities for their students. They needed this at this time critically now. Um, Mm -hmm. So from this media company, we kind of off the cuff were like, 
how can we make an impact and how can we make a win-win situation for both sides? And it's connecting them. They both have something that the other wants and they also both want to get connected so that they can elevate entrepreneurial women globally in every part of the female founder pipeline. So from this media company, we were really able to grow into a tech platform that we are now. That's brilliant. Now, I mean, we talk about the why actually of Flip, but why is it important for you more than anything to support the female community to grow? I think it can be most characterized by the report that we recently released. So we recently really we recently released a future female founders report um, mm -hmm. that reported on you know fundraising and um, and BIPOC founders and a lot of other aspects of a, about female founder entrepreneurship. And one of them, one of the stats that really really stuck out to me was that. 81% of the women of color who took the survey said that they did not have founders that they could look up to in the founder community mm -hmm. as they were growing up that looked like them, that resonated with their identity. And that's a huge problem, right? Because if we're, if we're looking to shatter the glass ceiling, we need to be able to see people that look like us in positions of leadership and in higher positions so that we can aspire to be that one day. It's not that you want to emulate exactly what other leaders are doing, but you need to feel like you fit in. Because for Ravina and I, when we walked into all of these entrepreneur settings, when we first started an entrepreneurship, we didn't feel like we didn't feel like we fit in because we didn't look like anybody else there. We didn't talk like anybody else there. Everybody was saying how they wanted to build a billion dollar company. Um, and we wanted to build something that had meaningful impact and had social impact behind it and had this double bottom line. And all of them looked at us like we were crazy. But what we're seeing with female entrepreneurs these days is that 80% of them are much more likely to give back to their communities. And they're also much more likely to be social impact focused. And in a time right now where we're in such a tr transitional time in the world where, you know, we have to make a difference and we have to bring positive impact to this world. Otherwise, it's it, we can't go back, right? For example, environmental sustainability, there's yeah. that clock that went up in New York, um, New York Times Square that says in seven years, it's it's going to be unstoppable climate change if we don't if we don't attack it right now and women entrepreneurs are going to be more likely to attack that issue if they're if they become founders so we have to be able to lift up these women who are going to make massive change they just don't feel like they fit in an entrepreneurship yet and it's about time that we do have that balance we need to lean on 50% of the population or 51% of the population mm -hmm. now to really innovate on issues on issues in the world and be able to bring those solutions to market right now there's no time to wait so we really are here so that we can elevate entrepreneurial women today the female founders that are building these solutions today and also encourage those from from tomorrow's generation that you know you can be a female founder too you can create all these things why don't you start earlier why why don't we expose you to entrepreneurship a bit earlier I love that. And Ravina, do you think also like this is a part of the essence of like, you know, to be a role model sort of like for the rest of female entrepreneurs community? No? Yeah, no, for sure. I think that, as I mentioned before, that walking in and being like, I am the only South Asian woman here and 
having and committing ourselves, both Michelle and I, that we were going to create a community where women didn't have to feel like that when they came to join Flick, that they could see themselves, they could see female founders who looked like them, who had a similar background to them, who, for example, faced the immigrant experience as well. And Mm -hmm. I think that was something that we every single day are trying to commit ourselves to. If we are talking about diversity, inclusion, and equity in everything that we do, we do strive to make sure that we're achieving those goals. And it's not to say that we're perfect. I think every day we're learning something new, we're learning something different, either from someone's lived experience, the readings that we're doing, or just by listening to our community. Mm -hmm. And I think going off of that, listening to our community has been a huge part of why Flick is where it's at today. Mm -hmm. Um, We get on those conversations, we have the calls, we open up our calendar to really listen to the needs of both young women who are students and what they're looking for in mentorship and skills training, and then listen to the female founders. How can we help them grow? How can we make sure that one, they feel supported, but on the other hand, that they're able to accelerate their business to the degree of which they want. And I think because we've created a community around diversity and inclusion, this has also provoked new thoughts in female founders. How can they approach new and different demographics? How can they service people to make sure they are being inclusive, that they're not leaving a huge subset of the population out? Um, And on the other hand, young women who are being inspired to think of problems that they may have not faced themselves, but they can recognize that other communities are facing and that they themselves might have access to those resources in order to help another community. And so I think that's something special that we've seen um, translated throughout Flick and the people that are coming to join us on our mission. I love that. And I mean, I can relate to some extent to exactly what you both were saying in terms of being an entrepreneur, a female entrepreneur in the tech world, but also an immigrant, which is which I am. I'm originally from France, so I totally can understand and relate to the journey of what it is like to try to, you know, impact the world differently with different backgrounds as well. So now let's talk about technology. I mean, you have clearly a community now, and then you're growing a platform. What's the roadmap you had in mind to grow the platform? I'll actually let Ravina talk about it because we we work on the vision together, but she's in charge of in charge of the nitty gritty of the product roadmap. So, yeah, I okay. So this is one of my favorite parts of sort of how we built Flick and how we were starting out. But Michelle and I we lived in this very small dorm on University of Toronto campus, and essentially we had so many ideas for what. Flick could become and where we where we saw it going. And I think often we're told, start with an MVP, start with something small. But over time, you probably get blurred by all these different ideas that you're coming up with. So what we did instead was we mapped out everything we wanted Flick to become, whether it was product, marketing, the type of community we wanted, uh, the type of technology that we wanted to integrate. And so we mapped my entire room upstairs with the vision of the different pillars that we wanted Flick to be uh, become one day. And I think that allowed us to 
come back to, okay, where is that starting point? What's the smallest thing we can begin with to actually Mm -hmm. build this grand vision? And Mm -hmm. that also allowed us to stay very honed in on just that MVP. And Mm -hmm. so every day I wasn't like texting Michelle, hey, I have all these ideas and we would sort of get clouded and excited by those. Instead, we'd already mapped them out. So we were able to actually focus in on what was most important and what we had to grow. And so I think when you ask the question of, growing product or building technology, I think Mm -hmm. it comes back to that piece of what I said is listening to the community. Even though we have all these grandiose ideas for integrating like AR, VR, AI, whatever new things are up and coming into Mm -hmm. our platform to create a more personalized experience for our diverse community, we're also listening to what the people actually want and Mm -hmm. testing those assumptions, engaging in those conversations and making sure that our assumptions of what we want to create, what we think the community needs is actually solving the problem that they want um, Mm -hmm. solved. So I think taking that time to listen, but also that fact that Michelle and I do have this bigger vision of what Flick can become, how we can make sure that we are contributing to the future of the workforce, um, ensuring that young women are prepared um, for what's to come, to ensure that uh, their entrepreneurial skills uh, are there and a new generation of job creators is present. And I think the third pillar for us that's very important is ensuring that while we're going through a lot of rapid change with the introduction of technology is that women aren't left behind and Mm -hmm. make sure that with creating apprenticeships, for example, that women are able to reskill themselves, retrain themselves, no matter where they are in the world. Um, Because our global economy is rapidly changing, as you can imagine, with all the tech that's coming through, we want to make sure that they have the opportunity to access something new. What are key milestones, actually, that, because you grow successfully so far, and then what are the key milestones that you have reached so far, and eventually maybe the one that you have in mind that you envision for the future? I think for us, when we first started, the milestones were just the number of people who were finding us, the number of people who were signing up, and it was all organic because we didn't have any money, you know, as a, as a startup, you know that you're bootstrapping, you don't have really money for paid advertising. And we, so we didn't, we just put the only money that we could put into was building the product. Mm-hmm. Um, so for us, I think big milestones have always been, you know, when we have the next thousand people who sign up. So the first thousand, I still remember it, it was like, it was pretty early on and it was so surprising to us because when we first when we first decided to turn to a tech portal we i think we bought a server that could handle about 400 users and mm-hmm. we thought you know if we have 80 people on this platform it will be a success um and within the first two or three weeks we had 800 people on our wait list and so yeah so a couple of months in we had a thousand people who had signed up for our portal and that was crazy, you know, mm-hmm. and then it's the next thousand, it's the next thousand. And then, and then we had 20 countries that had signed up onto the portal. So we were servicing 20 countries around the world. That was crazy. And now we're about to hit different milestones that are even crazier for us. We're about to hit 50 countries that we're servicing with 5,000 wow. women around the world. Um, so just thinking about those numbers is, 
is insane to us. And then hitting the milestone of actually generating revenue Mm -hmm. is another, is another one where you think that you think that that's almost never going to happen when you're in, when you're in the groove of, of building everything and you're dedicating your whole life and nobody understands why nobody understands why you're working 12, 14 hours a day and not paying yourself and not making money because you're free revenue. Uh, and so we actually did recently flip to revenue generation. And as a startup, that has been the biggest milestone for us to say, wow, this is a real business. This is something that we can build our lives on as well. And we can support other women and people who are on our team. And this entity, this entity is supporting more than us. It's supporting not only the thousands of women that we're supporting on our platform, but also a real team who is working on something that's super meaningful. It has a double bottom line and they're getting paid to do it. Um, So I think those have been really, really big milestones for us. Amazing. Um, from a business strategy standpoint, it's always complicated um, to develop like a double-sided platform. Um, I mean, I was wondering what's your take on this, and I don't know because I know it's it's always challenge challenging. It's a chicken egg problem, like I like to say. <laughs> so um, I don't know, Ravina, if you want to share your take on this. I think Michelle and I were lucky in that we were recent graduates. We were students ourselves at one point. And so we recognized that we lacked those female role models ourselves, even though we didn't necessarily need them because we didn't see them. So we didn't know that we were missing out on something. We Mm -hmm. recognized that, you know, there are these barriers because we heard the conversations from our friends all the time. It's difficult to network. We're scared to go to this event. We don't know what questions to ask. We find that going and meeting someone for coffee can be quite daunting, or we simply just don't even know who to reach out to. Mm-hmm. And so we were in that space. And then I think interviewing female founders and hearing some of the barriers they went through, Michelle and I slowly ended up kind of going into that space as well, because we became founders ourselves by building Flick. And so I think we were lucky in a way that we'd already experienced the student side of the problem, that going into the female founder side, we had listened to countless peoples. And then we were actually putting ourselves in that position where we were building something that one, as founders, we would want to use. And two, as students, we would have liked to use back then. So I feel like we were fortunate in that way that these two markets were easy for us to bridge because we'd experienced it ourselves and we were about to experience being a female founder for a while as well. I just want to add to that um, from a marketing standpoint, because like I said, we have had no money. So um, I I lead the, I lead marketing and community management. And so the biggest struggle for me was, you know, how are we going to market this with no money? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think what was, really, really important from us at the beginning, and we still use this philosophy now, is that we have a content-driven and community-driven strategy for our marketing. It's very organic. And that's honestly the best type of marketing, right? So for us at the beginning, like we said, we were a media company. So we had all all this content that we could put out for on every social media, and it would always drive people to our site. So we already had people who were 
signed up on our newsletter who are interested in female founder content who are usually either female founders or female students. So before we transitioned to a tech platform, we already had captured that audience via media and content, mm -hmm. videography, whatever creation that we had at the time. And also we had marketing beyond that because every single founder that we that we interviewed, we created content for them, which would mean that they would share it. And that would also bump our SEO and that, that would that would bump us in every every link, right? Um, so it was very organic in the way that people found us because if they were searching for female founders, somebody would find us on their Google. So it was really easy for us to not easy, but it, we were lucky that we were able to convert, you know, that newsletter audience into users on our portal because we had already captured them with media. And then now we do even more content to drive people. We have user generated content. So whenever, whenever you have user generated content, those people are the ones who write the content. So we have apprentices and founders write about their experiences, but they also get to plug whatever they do. So it's a win-win situation. It's, I don't have to write the content for you. You write it, it's in your voice. You're the best person to tell your own story and I want to share it for you. So the user creates the content. We, we are the publishers of the content and they, again, they share it across all their channels. But on top of that, now they're talking about their experiences on the Flick portal. Which is just another, which is just another way for us to market without us having to spend any money. So you see how we've been able to capture both sides because we have founders who are creating content with us for us and sharing it with us and for us. And then we have students doing the exact same thing and they're driving each other's markets because founders are connected with other founders and students are connected with other students. And so when they talk about their experiences, people are way more likely to respond to somebody that they know rather than a random ad on social media or a random ad on Google that they have no personal connection to. I mean, I love that because like community building is literally today everything. And it's so essential. I want, because you already shared a little bit on um, how it does impact your business. But now you touch also like the marketing aspect of Flake. But how is it, um, how actually do you work on converting actually all this community that join you on the platform into paid clients? Is there any specific um, strategy that you put in place in order to, you know, reach this type of um, milestones in terms of, you know, revenue, uh, revenue strategy? I think with us, obviously the community that that has a that's a huge funnel, right? That's people who are just interested in the content, people who are interested potentially in our mission, and so not everybody there is going to buy. But what's important to us is that we as a team are very personal. We love to get to know people in our community. So, like Ravina said, we open up our calendars. So everybody who's subscribed to our newsletter every now and then will open our calendars for them to meet us and. It's, yeah, maybe you won't buy after you meet us, but you're probably more willing to, to buy a membership and be part of our community because there's so much value that's added as being part of the community, right? As a founder, you're able to take on three apprentices every three months. You get funding opportunities, you get connections to investors. We have office hours and AMAs with all of our partners. So there's a lot of value that we can contribute to the community, but at the same time, it's different because we try to create these one-on-one -on -one relationships with all of our founders who end up coming onto our platform. So if you if you are converting to a paid member, 
it's not just because you want the value that's on the platform, but you also want to be connected with our team. And we are willing to do literally anything to help you in your business. We started this company not to make money. The only reason why we have a monetization strategy is so that we can be sustainable for the future. And so we can continue continue uplifting female founders and young women who are interested in entrepreneurship or interested in connecting with these founders. You know, this isn't about being a billion dollar company for us. It's about making a sustainable company that can last a long time and we're able to create a large impact. And whenever we're able to get on the phone with somebody and create that personal relationship, it is really important to us that one person, either between me and Ravina, has a personal relationship with the founders who do come on board and that we get to know them. We get to know their business. We also know about their personal lives. Um, to us, it's not really like sales, even though technically it is. It's really about do you believe enough in us that we want to elevate your mission mm -hmm. and if and you're going to want to join this platform if you don't that's okay maybe another day um but we do really like to take that personal approach from the big content funnel into you know of, of course the marketing drip campaigns but at the end of the day if you want to pick up the phone and call me you can call me amazing i love that this engagement is so powerful and I mean, um, I was wondering from a because you touched a little bit on that, Michelle, uh, from a financial point of view, how did you articulate your funding and your uh, monetization plan? We didn't just want to send out a, a pricing survey because I know a lot of people do that. Mm -hmm. We wanted to actually know if I'm talking to you one on one and you understand the value of this, how much do you think you'll pay? Again, it's about that personal connection. And we talked to hundreds of founders to be able to land on the price point that we have now. And we also had MBA interns from UBC go through our pricing strategy. Um, and to and on every call that we were with with the founders, when it was when Flick was originally free, we would say, Yeah, we're we are implementing a paywall um, in the future, just so that we're very transparent about this. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, again, it's just about being honest, transparent and and talking to your founders or talking to your customers in a very personal way. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. So from a scaling, scaling actually is a is a cornerstone for every, every kind of business for sure. But how do you foresee, you know, the growth of the platform in terms of users and also in terms of revenue for the future? Yeah, I think when it comes to the future revenue and all that world, I think Michelle said it pretty clearly, like we're not here to maximize our profits to the highest ability that we can. It comes down to helping the women around us and continuing to create a sustainable platform that is constantly providing value. And I think it really comes back to those points that I made before is listening to your community, listening to what they want and building off of that. And I think that will allow us to sustain a platform that is creating revenue that can be invested back into the company, but also towards our mission. And I think that really aligns with both Michelle and I coming from a generation that is creating things that are aligned with our values, with the change that we want to see in the world. So mm -hmm. when we are talking about where is revenue allocated, yes, it's going into product and advertising. But when we talk about product, it's creating a product that is meant for diverse women who are from around the world and making sure each of their needs are actually met, created and personalized. And the other half of it 
of it is when revenue is invested into advertising and marketing, it's creating diverse and relatable content. It's ensuring that that is going towards increasing the bandwidth of the team to be doing outreach towards Indigenous communities, Black communities, South Asian communities. And really, I think it's interesting because we are in a situation in a state where so many things are uh, coming up and social entrepreneurship is now a really big topic of Mm -hmm. it is possible in this world, uh, living through capitalism, liberalism, that we are able to create companies that are sustainable, revenue positive, and that are investing back into the people. And there is a high return to be made on that. And I think, and I hope that we are one of those platforms that can show as supportive proof towards that concept. Yes, I, I totally agree with, with what you just said. I was participating a couple of weeks ago to the G20 uh, Youth Entrepreneurs Alliance. I don't know if you heard about that summit. Um, it was a virtual event. And social entrepreneurship is definitely something big, something that um, you know the economy should cherish and more and more, especially in the future. Um, I have a personal questions and I'll start with Michelle. So uh, on a personal level, what are your best productivity hacks, um, you know, like in terms of growing, working, like you mentioned, like 12, up to 12, 14 hours a day, um, it's not an easy thing. So what were your hacks for that? For that? Her hack is that she runs like 50 to 90 <laughs> kilometers a week. <laughs> yeah, actually that it, like I have to work out. So otherwise I get really, really restless and I can't put my mind to work and I think it's for me working out at the very I I work out at the very beginning of every day because I feel like that is the hardest thing that I'm going to do all day it's like I do I really want to get out there in the freezing cold to run 10 kilometers today maybe not but after I've done that I feel so much more accomplished I'm also way more focused and I, and I think to myself all day, every day, I'm like, if I could do that, I can literally do anything else. <laughs> um, so for me, it's being able to schedule in that time to for myself where I have to do whatever I need. For somebody else, it could be, oh, I need to meditate for an hour. For me, I need to sprint 10 kilometers <laughs> and then feel like I'm dead at the end and think to myself wow I'm really proud of myself so every single day I can say to myself that I'm proud of myself for something um so I it, for us both I think it's really google calendar is making sure that you're on top of that and making sure that you're accountable for everything that's on there so I'll even put I'll even put chill on there at yes. on Saturday at like 10 to 12 It'll be on my Google calendar and it'll take up a block and somebody be like, why do you have, why is your Google calendar so full? And I'm like, I have to put from 10 to 12 to chill mm-hmm. because I, otherwise I won't be accountable for myself to do it. Mm-hmm. And if it's 10 one and I'm not chilling, then, then I will look at myself and be like, you should be. Um, so it's really scheduling in that time for both work life and personal needs and I have evaluated my personal needs I I need seven to eight hours of sleep a day so I make sure that I have that I wake up in the morning and I stretch and I need to go for my run I shower and I need to and I need to start getting to work and doing certain work at every part of the day and I'll block off my days 
because of that. And then at the end of the day, I need to have an hour to myself, whether that's reading or Netflix or whatever it is, I'll also block that off. So it's being accountable for both the work that you do and the, and the needs that you have personally, I think. I love that. Ravina, do you have any hacks that you'd like to share with us? Um, so I, I used to work out like Michelle and I like to say it's because I'm older than her. I sort of fell off the bandwagon, but, um, (laughs) for me, what I've started to do is at night, for example, I have an app called Oak that I use. Um, and I use that every single night and it's more of a meditation type thing. And it sort of lets me clear my thoughts because I am someone that constantly I am thinking and thinking, even when I'm going to bed, I am thinking when I'm dreaming, I'm thinking. So I feel like it never turns off. So I've started to use an app called Oak, which I feel like has been very helpful. Um, And then I think in terms of the other half, when it takes, just taking time to slow down, I purchased this thing from chapters where it essentially asks you like a probing question every day um, for self-reflection. I have found that really helpful Mm -hmm. to continue to have gratitude for where we're at, where I am with my personal self and growing. Um, And then as Michelle mentioned, I think Google Calendar. Um, But I think productivity hacks are interesting because for me, I am very internally motivated and I do, I am obsessed with what we're doing. So for me, often there is no, I don't really truly believe in balance. I think everyone has their own interpretation of what balance looks like. So for me, it might be working those 18 to 20 hours a day because I love it. I'm very passionate about it. And I know that based off the feedback Michelle and I are getting is we are helping people. We are changing lives and giving opportunity to women that otherwise wouldn't have that. And just the mere thought of that allows me to keep going with my day. Mm -hmm. Um, And it revamps me and excites me in addition to my love for Netflix. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I I have a last question, but not the least. What are your key learnings or foundings that you know, um, that you learn along growing and building Flick? that actually could be useful to any starting or, you know, entrepreneurs? I I think that the biggest fi- finding for both of us has been everything happens slower than you think it will happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was, it's really important to know that from the get-go because as an entrepreneur, you have to be willing to be in it for the long haul because you're going to have these product roadmaps and you're going to have all these ambitious goals and everyone's smart and everyone's ambitious, but there's so many little things that you don't know that come up when you're an entrepreneur, whether that's, you know, accounting or legal or, or the product has bugs and you need to fix it. Or there's customer support over here. You as an entrepreneur are going to be pulled in 7 million directions. And so no matter how much you plan out what you want to, what you want to be and where those milestones are going to lie. You can't beat yourself up. You can't beat yourself up about it if you don't make it at that time. You know, so for us, I think it's been really, really important for us to to have, you know, six week or eight week sprints where we know we're probably going to get this much done, but at the end of it, we're not going to beat ourselves up about it. If we don't, and then we'll look back on it, reevaluate and think about what's the next thing. What's the next thing? Um, so it's helped us a lot more to be able to have shorter 
shorter deadlines, I guess, instead of saying in three months, we're going to hit this for sure. In six months, we're going to hit this for sure. In 12 months, we're going to hit this for sure. You should definitely have visions and you, you should you should maybe map up your milestones, but those aren't set in stone. And so that's something that we learned, I think, a lot in the past year. Ravina, do you have anything you'd like to add? No, I think I think Michelle got that dead on. <laughs> All right. Thank you for your time today. Uh, that was really fantastic to have you both uh, talking about Flick and talking about the the beautiful uh, female, you know, female-led, you know, company that you're growing. It's pretty um, impressive and amazing. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you, Rubina. Thank you so much for having us. Yes, thanks for having us. We had a great time. Here is a preview of the next episode. And this was a problem all around the world. And so I wanted to launch TalkMaze, a virtual platform for students and people who are looking to build effective communication skills to get access to the right resources and training. This is the end of the show. Share the show with your community. Make sure to listen to the next episode on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, and Anchor, and more. Follow us on Instagram at ecg.podcast and me, Geraldine JP. Follow me on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. See you next time.